Welcome back to the midfield episode two. We don't talk about the top. We don't talk about the bottom. Everywhere else is the midfield. All right. We have crowned a champion at the Masters. We've eaten our fair share of Easter ham. We still have a two-week break before our next Formula One Grand Prix. Oh, what is with this weight? Do you have any plans for the uh, two weeks Two weeks off we have here? It's, it's kind of weird. I'm not used to having uh, a three-week break in here. Uh, I, I think we talked about this. Like, What we're probably going to do is do you know a recap of last week's race, also do a preview of, of next week's race. But the question is, what do you do on a week like this? Well... I have got some big plans this week. I'm going to be playing pickleball with Carlos Sainz. That's my plans for the week. Oh, wow. That that sounds amazing. I was just about to brag about my plans, but you actually, um, that sounds really, really good. All week. I'm doing that all week too. All week. You guys just have a court like on reserve. <laughs> exactly. I feel like whenever yeah. we're watching DTS, Carlos is always playing tennis or golf or, you know, he's playing some kind of, uh, you know, non-driving sport uh, with his dad right. uh, and then Shawl or, or some other, some other driver. Yeah. Speaking of what they do on DTS, I'm actually going uh, hiking with Gunther next weekend. I know he lives in North Carolina. I'm just going to kind of surprise him, show up at his, his door and say, Hey, do you want to hike the Appalachian trail with me and see what happens? Maybe, maybe he's got some time. Do you, what, what, do you, what do you think Gunther will say when you show up on his doorstep? I, I don't think it's appropriate for this podcast. If we're going to try to keep that <laughs> explicit tag off, I don't know how long we're going to last with that, but if, if we are, we can't have any direct quotes from Gunther himself. Well, speaking of Gunther, it was Gunther's birthday this week, so I, I feel like we, you know, it's kind of our responsibility to to say happy birthday to Gunther. Yeah, absolutely. Happy birthday, Gunther. Another thing this week that piqued my interest, Williams had on Thursday, they after the Australia Grand Prix, they had released a post-race debrief across social media. Um, it was It was really cool to see... It was their team principal, James Bowles. If you didn't see it, uh, the new team principal uh, since December has, you know, taken over and this is going to be his second race and Alex Albon spun out. It was kind of a weird accident. Didn't look like much. And so he explained it and, um, you know, I, I'm not going to do it justice. So I'm not going to try to explain it, but James Bowles did a really good job. It's on their Twitter page. I'm sure it's all over there. Instagram, TikTok, whatever else you want to find it. But he does a really good job explaining why why Albon um, did certain maneuvers and it heat, heated up the tires over their allotment, over their, their temperature that they're allowed. And he essentially lost control because his tires got too hot, too aggravated and um, spun the car out because of it. So it's just a really cool debrief. And I'd love to see more teams do things like that, just be more transparent and social. What do you think? Yeah. Do you, could you ever see a total wolf or... Or, uh, you know, any of the other bosses doing that? that it seemed it was very interesting, but it seemed more behind the curtain than we're used to. Yeah, definitely. Definitely gave us a look where we don't typically see. Um, I'm not sure if that new group at Williams, um, are you familiar with the Williams story? Like the Williams family and everything like that? It's It's been on DTS. I mean, so I mean, full disclosure, right, to, to the listeners of the pod, this is my second season watching F1, and I think it's your second or third season watching F1. So... I, mm -hmm. I don't know a whole bunch of the background, but I have seen DTS and I know that it was owned and run by the Williams family. And I think there was the patriarch w was involved in running the team. And and I think the family sold the team last year. Is that right? Yeah, they sold it. It was right around COVID and this new team, it's a new group 
It's called Doralton Capital. It's a United States-based investment group, and they purchased Williams from the family. So Doralton Capital has been taking uh, some big swings of the axe, and I I think it's really cool to see some outside people come into F1 and try their hand at it. You know, they can't compete toe-to-toe with Ferrari, right? Um, the team at the top, don't say their name, McLaren, Mercedes, you know, if you want to compete with them, you're going to have to do things different than them. And when they were on Drive to Survive, they hired this new uh, team principal as soon as Doralton Capital ended up purchasing Williams in August 2020. December 2020, they hired this guy, Yost Capito. I'm sure I'm butchering his name. He was on Drive to Survive. He's a really fun dude. And he talked about how he has to, we have to do things different because if everyone else does the same, we're never going to win because we have the worst car. So we always have to do something different, take big chances. And they did the strategy last year where they didn't pit Albon until the second to last lap. And then later they did it where they didn't pit him until the literally the last lap of the race. And it was, it was just really cool to see Williams take some chances. I don't know if it's this new group, it's uh, running it. That's, that's doing it. You, you'd have to think that's their directive. Uh, maybe it's appealing to sponsors. It's certainly appealing to fans. I love it so far. Well, I mean, you, you can't go toe to toe with with these teams on the upper half of the grid, right? Like, if you have a, a worse car, you need to go do something different. I mean, that that's what he's saying. Um, you're not going to beat them going by conventional strategies. So you got to take some gambles and do these really weird pit strategies. And I don't know. I mean, it, I hope it shakes some stuff up here. So there, there was a bit in this article, and I'm just reading. Williams announced sale of F1 team to U.S. investment company. It's on the F1 website. So they, they are, their writers must have put this out. I'm not seeing an author. I'd love to give somebody credit. And they're essentially talking about how the sale went and how they lost a few sponsors when Latifi left. It was, I thought it was hilarious that there's people that paid money to be on the car when Latifi was there. And then when he left, they said, no, I don't want to give you money anymore. Like they purposefully gave money for Nicholas Latifi to race his car and get 19th place every time. So so what was it? I mean, there must've been some, is it a nationality thing? I, I don't know the story there. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, me neither. I had no idea, but it, I just I just found it humorous. There was a, there was a few brands that wanted to uh, pay for Nicholas Latifi's way. Anyway, I don't want to dog on him for an hour and a half, although I I could. Well, I mean, do, do we want to talk about Logan Sargent? I mean, is that is that something that yeah? So I was brought up just kind of connecting the dots here. I'm this Doralton Capital is an American company. Um, I'm sure they're looking to bring American blood into the F1 paddock. And so their first driver move is getting rid of Latifi and bringing in American Logan Sargent. We'll we'll see how that pans out. I, I think that so far, Williams has been fun to watch. I, I think their car actually on merit has been fast. I, I said said that last last time we talked. And I just hope Elbon can keep it up. He's he hasn't finished two, you know, two consecutive races. And, and so I'm just worried that he's pushing the limits a little bit too much. Yeah, yeah. It certainly seems like they've got a car. What, what do you think? So Albon's got what one point is what I'm seeing here. But he yeah, he, he got tenth in Bahrain. And then he crashed out of Saudi and Australia. What about Sargent? Sargent's got zero points. Yep, 12th Bahrain and then a couple of 16ths. So crashed out of Australia. I forget what he did in Jeddah. What does Williams have to do to, you know, we don't talk about the top, obviously, but we, we're saying we don't talk about the bottom. But here we are talking about Williams. What do they have to do to be in the middle there fighting? 
Yeah, they need to be really fighting for that 10th spot. They, If you finish 10th every week, there's going to be damage at the top. You're going to see one of the top guys blow an engine, run into the wall, something like that. This last race, we saw how many Ferrari engines go out, uh, four different ones. And so uh, this was uh, actually Jet. I was watching Baku last year. Sorry, I'm confusing two two topics. We'll get on to Baku's preview next week. Little tidbit there. Bunch of engines blew out. Spoiler alert. And so I just I think Williams needs to fight for that tenth spot. And, and I think Elbon is is going to get there on merit. Sometimes you're going to get unlucky and and finish twelfth and fourteenth. But if you have two guys that are right there at ten. And a few of the top guys crash out. All of a sudden, you have eight, nine points for your team, and they need they need a few big points finishes, getting sixth in a race, getting seventh in a race. Because when I was reading this this F one article, they have scored single digit points every year, but once since twenty seventeen, single digits like just can't be can't compete with single digits. All right, well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. You know, I, I think it needs to be said. I don't think we should talk about Williams until they score some points. Wow. All right. It's been said. Maybe and I just want to get, up, get get that off my chest because I see they have one point and <laughs> maybe this is the last time I can talk about it. Well, I'd, I'd love to see them score some points. I would love to see some parity. AlphaTauri has a total of one point as well. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're in that same category for me. Uh, Alfa Romeo actually has six points. Val- Valtteri's got four. Uh, and Joe's got two. So those guys are a little bit higher, but, but like you said, right? Like let's say Albon sneaks in and snags seventh or eighth. Like now this is a different story. And he was running sixth. I know there's a lot of ball game left, but he, he was in sixth place on merit. It wasn't like there was a rain delay or some sort of funky pit strategy that got him running sixth. He was up there and crashed himself out because he was getting a little handsy with the car is what uh, James Bowles told us in the debrief. Um, all right, let's put Williams to bed and we can wake him up if they get some points. I, I hope we do. I hope we do. But uh, that day is not today. But like you said, we're only three races into this thing. I mean, it, it's kind of slow in these weeks. So so I just want to make sure we we call that out. But the the biggest story of the week for me is the, the Charles Leclerc quote about him saying he is not focused on winning the championship. He just wants to finish races. And it just, um, as, as a Charles Leclerc fan, like it just, it makes me so sad that he has to say that, that he's DNF twice in three races. And you look at what he, where he was at a year ago, right? He'd won two of the first three races a year ago. <laughs> and the guy is just so demoralized that he, it just, it just come to this, right? Like, Hey, I just want to finish races. Um, and, and it, it really goes back to what we talked about last week, right? I, I don't trust Ferrari to finish races. So it was really affirming to hear almost a verbatim quote from Shaw being like, yeah, um, when you finish races. So I really hope that that come up in the next couple of weeks, we see a Ferrari team. That's great. Andy and Shaw are on the same wavelength. I, I'm guessing That's we're the great. only two people in the world that, that saw that. I would imagine you and a few other Ferrari fans have noticed that Charles hasn't finished in the, in the points a whole lot this year. I do have some fun stats on um, Charles Leclerc, kind of by the numbers here. I was looking at, uh, I made a little spreadsheet with just basics, my, my own little points data, and then it gives me average points per race, average finish, you know, because I'm really good at math. I can figure that stuff out. Charles Leclerc's average finish position, 15th. 
He's averaging two points per race because he's crashed out or bailed out twice, I should say. Just disappointing, and there's no way to look at it that you can find a way to sugarcoat it. Every way is bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know what else to say. Um, I, I think Charles basically, if he says it, it it's legit. So um, I'm really hopeful. I, I want to see that red car going fast. I really do. It's the truth. Also looking at a tweet from Formula Racers, drivers with the highest percentage of teams' points. Obviously, Yuki and Albon are at the top with one single point each, but the one that got me was signed 77% of the points for Ferrari this year with uh, Charlotte Claire's failures. Alonzo and Hamilton are both all in the mail too, 69. Nice for Alonzo and 68 percentage points uh, for Hamilton. Guys are carrying the teams early. Yeah, I mean, Alonso's been a ton of fun to watch. Uh, Lance wrecked out, right? Mm-hmm. That's, part, that's part of it. But and George had the failure. One guy who's who's definitely carrying the load for Haas is Nico Hulkenberg with a big seventh place finish in, in Saudi. G- gave the team six points. That's good for 86% of the seven points that they've scored. So that's a big percentage for Nico. He's really impressed me with his qualifying pace this year. He's up front of the grid. Maybe not the front of the grid, but the front of the midfield, front of our grid. I see more and more often, more and more often during qualifying. So I just I wanted to take a minute to talk about why I love Haas. Yeah, I mean I I know this right because you know obviously we've been doing this a long time just talking about it. But I think I think our audience deserves to know why you love Haas so much. And I'm also curious what you think about the Hulk coming coming out of retirement here, coming coming back not out of retirement, but but coming back to the grid. Yeah, so I just initially fell in love with Gunther on on Drive to Survive. His weird, mysterious Swiss-German accent can't quite pin what country slash countries slash regions that it's it. It's just the most unique accent I've ever heard. And then his beautiful alliterative use of curse words throughout a sentence is it's just so unique and delicate. And so he's he's really just entertaining. If you're not familiar, not much good happens at Haas. So if you have a bad temper and you like to curse, he's your guy. He's he's the guy that's that's gonna light the fire. I know there's a, a common question of why is Gunther still there? Like they've scored zero points in the championship before. They're just like the W team that we can't talk about anymore, that they've scored single digits so often. Why is why is Gunther still the guy? You've asked me that before, right? Yeah, I, I you see a lot of principles get run out, right? Like Bonotto got fired last year, right? Like it, this this happens quite a bit where the principles are not producing and they get fired, and and yet you have Gunther here, and they've been they've been bad, right? They they were you know uh, an upper midfield team when DTS really started, and now they've been bottom of the barrel, and it's like, well, what's wrong? Well, it's, it's got to be Gunther. But uh, yeah, why do you think, Daniel, that they keep Gunther on the payroll? Yeah, so it was, I wouldn't say it was quick for me to, to figure it out, but I think I listened to a few other American opinions on Haas, people that were familiar with Gene Haas and how he ran his NASCAR team and how he was almost infamous for when he started his his NASCAR team and was a small, more of a smaller business owner, if I'm remembering this correctly, that he, he was just always pinching pennies and saying, this is what your budget is, and you're not going to get a dime more. And if you're if you get less, don't be surprised. And so he always ran a tight ship. They They got things figured out with his business. He became a large business owner and very wealthy. 
and he owns, uh, you know, partially Stuart Haas racing in NASCAR and they own four cars, which is the max you can own in the cup series. Like he's, he's a very, very large and influential team owner in NASCAR. And so he's trying his hand in formula one and he's essentially doing what he did when he started with NASCAR saying, you guys get this small budget and it's going to be a fraction of what the other teams do, figure it out. And so he's giving Gunther half the ingredients that you need to make the pie and says, Gunther, bake, bake me a pie. And it's, it's going to be crap. And, you know, it's going to be crap. It's what Gunther is going to say, but, but that's the, that's the pieces and the ingredients that he has in his kitchen. And so Gunther, you know, goes back to the trailer and I got to call Gene and he calls Gene and gives him the bad news and says, you know, we need to try harder. We need to do better. And that's it. And Gene's like, yeah, you're right. We need to do better, but you're not getting any more money and figure it out. And I think that's part of the reason they they fired Mick Schumacher's because he crashed so much. So they're needing to find new parts and build new cars and they can't afford it. So I just think Haas is overall fascinating. The Gunther and Gene dynamic that no matter what happens, Gunther's going to take the bullet for it. And he's a great fall man. And I think Gene likes him for that too, that Gunther's always going to be the guy to take the blame. He's never going to blame Haas or the money or anything like that. He's going to say, yeah, I screwed up. We screwed up. So I think Gunther's a great a great boss to have when you're towards the bottom of the grid, just because he's going to sit in there and take the bullets and that's what you need. Yeah. That was kind of my impression. Um, he's the fall guy, right? Like he never blames it on Gene, not giving him enough money. Right. He, he always says we have to do better. We we're too slow. Like he looks so incompetent because I think he blames himself. And I don't think that's the truth. I think Gene probably deserves a lot more of the blame for that team being absolute crap. It's no secret they're underfunded, you know, and that's the team owner. That's Gene Haas funding, funding the team, right? Who who funds the team? Yeah. And, and so, I mean, we had an American team. We got, we got a fun principal. I mean, he's the star of the show, right? Like if, if you want to see who's who's the star of DTS, I mean, it's, it's, it's Gunther Steiner. Yeah. Watch Drive to Survive and find a better protagonist than, than Gunther. Yeah. Yeah. Although I really did appreciate the uh, the Danny Rick sign off. I thought that was really, really fun. Yeah, he he had a good a good montage there. That was great. All yeah. his should be Daniel yeah. to survive and just all of his antics. Uh plenty of R rated moments there. That was great. I got a feeling we'll see him back. Maybe he's right, driving so a Haas. He could be driving a Haas. I I doubt it. I don't think Danny Rick's gonna take that job. We have retired the W words. For um, the time being, another team that I'm going to put up on the docket for retirement, since they are also meeting the W words at the bottom with one point, Alpha Tari. Fun fact, before we get started on the Alpha Tari business, did you know Alpha Romeo and Alpha Tari are spelled differently? The Alphas. Uh. You know, I never really thought about that. Uh, and look at it now. Yeah, I can confirm different spelling. I learned that this week. So I just wanted to pass that along. So they're different teams. It's not alpha squared. It's still alpha squared to me. Anyway, we'll, we'll have to figure it out. As long as the basement resides with these alpha teams next to each other, we'll have to go alpha squared. But I, I do want to talk about Alpha Tari um, possibly retiring them. What do you What do you think about this possible retirement? Well, I mean, we're talking about teams in the middle, right? And if you have one point through three races uh, as a team, well, you're not in the middle. You're just not in the middle. There, there's one team at the top. There's there's two teams at the bottom. Uh, that gives us a, a really nice, chunky seven-team midfield, which I'm happy to talk about. And, and, and hey, you know what? If, if something happens to that Austrian team and they start you know, getting 
10th in races, like let's bring them in. But that's not the case. Same thing for for AlphaTauri. Um, if, if they start getting points, like, hey, let's do it. But in, until they until they start actually threatening to go 8, 9, 10 in races, I, I don't think they're worth it. So here's the thing for, for me on AlphaTauri is they, you did mention the Austrian team and it's also no secret that Haas is underfunded. It's no secret that AlphaTauri is a, they call it a sister team to the other Austrian team, the big team. And they used to be um, like the Spanish version of Red Bull. You know? So anyway, they're, they're this they're this sister team or they're this development team essentially for this the top Austrian team. And my thought is maybe they're being underfunded this year. Maybe the assets are going into that top team and more and more assets are going into the top team and fewer into the bottom. We already know the top team got caught overspending and maybe less of that money is now going to AlphaTauri. To me, it, it's an interesting dynamic. Possibly they're getting a lit a bit underfunded this year. And then the other problem I have with them is their two drivers. Yuki Sonoda, I will give him credit to start here. He has gone 11th, 11th, 10th on the grid finishing. 11th place is is just the worst place to finish. Like terrible luck. You're close to a point and you're not there. He's done that twice. Would have been there again in Australia with the Carlos Sainz penalty, put Sainz back behind Sonoda. All of a sudden, he's in 10th. You have Nick DeVries. You have Yuki Sonoda. To me, these are both rookie drivers. Why do you say Yuki's a, a rookie? Oh, I'm glad you asked. He is actually a third-year driver, and he is just acting like a rookie. So if, if you've seen DTS, you know what I mean? He's a child. He gets mad if he has to wake up in the morning. He gets mad if he has to exercise. And he sits there in front of the camera and like pouts about it. They're like, uh, we're actually going to move Yuki to uh, closer to the headquarters. He's going to live in the same city and exercise and meet with the engineers at the team headquarters during the week. And Yuki's like, I don't like to exercise. I don't like to wake up early. It's like, bro, you have a full-time job now. Like you're getting paid millions of dollars to drive this race car. And just last week in Melbourne, he had another meltdown. It, he got pulled in to weigh during qualifying. And he was like visibly arms waving all over the place. I don't know what his radio said, but I want to go back and, and see if I can listen listen to that. But he was just super pissed at this guy who called him in to, to, to get weighed during, during qualifying. He just, he's really talented, but I just, I don't think he's mature enough to be a great, reliable driver. And then Nick DeVries is a rookie. I just, you can't really trust rookies in F1 to be reliable. So for me, he scored points last year, didn't he? He put the Williams in like sixth or seventh, didn't he? He had such a crazy drive for them. Wasn't it, wasn't it Williams that he filled in on? I think that's right. I think he like... I don't remember exactly to be honest with you, but I think he, I think he scored eight or ninth, you know, Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Again, he's really talented. It's just the, the rookie drivers are going to make small mistakes over time more and more than, than these top professionals are. And it's going to get you in the long run. And that's why, you know, this is so hard for the rookies to, to make those adjustments. So I just, I think uh, we can put Alfatari to bed if they score some points and Yuki can make those 11s into sevens, then we're back in business. We're going to find this here. He drove for Mercedes. DeVries did. Yeah, I think oh, he, he drove. Okay, this is great podcast content. But uh, I'm seeing two points 
Williams Mercedes. He replaced the Albon at Williams. Two points. So he must have gone ninth for two points. But he beat Latifi. I, I, he finished the race in ninth. Yeah. I doubt he went tenth and fastest lap. He was the reserve driver for several teams last year, it looks like. Yeah. That's that's a good good spot to be in. He drove a Mercedes in free practice, the Mexico Grand Prix in place of George Russell. Mm. Anyway, so he's he's got a fair amount of experience. Yes, the two points that he scored were replacing Albon at Williams when he scored ninth, beating Latifi. Awesome. He has shown that he's got talent in the past. There's no doubt. All these guys are the best of the best, but the rookies are going to struggle the most. It's it's a life transition. It's a job transition. It's a skill transition. So much change for these rookies where the rest of the drivers on the grid have all done this before. So the only thing that's different is this they've they've already done it like they have experience every, everywhere they've gone i've done this before like it's really hard for rookies i don't think devries sergeant even piastri and in the mclaren are gonna have big years and if they get double digit points i'd be surprised think about what you're saying about yuki being such an undisciplined racer like does that does that just mean that he's hyper talented right if he's able to be 11th 11th 10th in the first three races of the year mm -hmm. in a i don't know it's probably a pretty midfield bottom bottom of the midfield car and he's not doing any of his training right he doesn't he doesn't like to work out he, he doesn't want to do his exercises he doesn't want to get up early well he i think he does do these trainings now that the team's called him in and says hey you need to, meet. to do it yeah to an extent and who knows how much that they there was a little story they did on yuki and transitioning into the big boy life of you know, it was, it was like meeting a college kid who went to first get their first job at the office. You felt like you were going with James into the accounting office, but instead you're going with Yuki to the paddock and he's driving a race car 200 miles an hour at his first job. So he was like becoming an adult, learning how to do laundry. Like um, Pierre Gasly went over there and there was laundry all over the place. And he's like, what are you doing with your laundry? And he's like, oh yeah, I, I need to do a wash. And Gasly's like, a wash? You, your whole room is turned upside down. What is this? And Yuki's like, yeah, whatever. It's just, he's not an adult. And so, yeah, he's he is hyper talented, but I think he could be a more top eight, top five type driver if he controls Hold his emotions. You hear him on the radio all the time, just going yelling at his engineer or being pissed off or just screaming about something or another. And it's like, just take a breath, man, like focus on the next thing. If you're still pissed off about the last thing, you're not focused on the current situation. He just seems like if he could mature, he could be hyper talented and calm. I think he got something there. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't disagree with you, right? Like he's talented, but maturity is a factor. I mean, you see a lot of guys that are, I mean, let's be honest, right? The vast majority of these guys are very mature and, and even some of the younger guys, right? But I don't think you can play fast and loose in this sport and really, really have any staying power. So I, I would expect Yuki to be out the back uh, very soon. I don't know. I, I think to bring it back, I mean, I, I think Alvatari, I'm good with keeping them out of the conversation. And and again, right? Like they start scoring points, like sure, let's talk about them. But the way things are looking now, it does not seem like that's going to be the case for, for that team. Yeah. The way it's going now, it definitely doesn't seem like that team's scoring a whole lot of points. I would agree. So we'll see. We'll see with Yuki. He's 22, birthday in May, he'll be 23. 
if I did my math right, he's still young, but you can't be giving him five, six, seven years if he's if he's going to be this immature his whole career. So we'll, we'll we'll retire officially until these four points, the W's and the A's. Bangs gavel. All right, it is decided. I think that's all we have for this week. Slow news week, like you mentioned, not a whole lot going on. We could always um, dig into some more, but well, I think there's only one team that we really haven't talked about, and. I think it'd be a nice teaser to talk about them next week. Oh, I like that. I like where you're going with that. The other alphas. Yeah. So why don't we uh, why don't we run it back and then you know a, a week from now we can do our uh, our Baku preview and uh, discuss whether Alpha Romeo should be part of the midfield. Yeah. The F word, alphas. They have F in their name. They have a Ferrari engine. And are they? Mm. Frauds, capital F frauds. Well, wow, I am dying to know. Can we record next week's pod right now? It's gonna be a good one. It's gonna be a really good one. Let's come back next week. All right, we'll see you then. See you next time.